welcome to episode two of Where From Here. It was Humphrey Osmond in 1957 who first coined the phrase psychedelic. The etymological root of the word from Greek is a composite of psyche, soul or mind, and to manifest. So in essence, a manifestation of the mind, or as Aldous Huxley famously said, opening the doors of perception. Psychedelics are having a renaissance. After being tarnished with fear and prejudice in the 1970s as a result of the work of Timothy Leary and the tune-in and drop-out message, psychedelics have finally been resurrected and recognised as an ancient source of infinite wisdom, good, and also mental, physical and emotional healing. Whilst the most well-known, LSD, psilocybin and ayahuasca, remain largely illegal in many countries, this hasn't stopped a plethora of scientific and medically driven experiments into the palliative effects of these modalities, particularly with regards to their positive efficacy on PTSD and clinical depression, with no discernible side effects. Currently, Imperial College London are running extremely promising trials showing the considerable long-term positive impact psilocybin is having on depression, addiction and compulsivity. Michael Pollan's amazing book, Change Your Mind, turned into a compelling Netflix documentary, also offers an insightful first-hand experience of being on the receiving end of these plant medicines. Peak experiences, touching the divine and ego death are amongst some of the striking descriptions that seek to capture these most subjective of experiences. This episode seeks to acknowledge all of that and ground psychedelics in an anecdotal context. Jennifer Tesla is the co-founder of an extremely well-regarded and professional psilocybin retreat provider. Basing their ceremonies in the Netherlands, Jen takes us through what it's like to engage with the idea of taking mushrooms, how best to prepare through supportive introspection, and then what to expect on the retreat, unpacking terms such as holding space and describing what a ceremony would entail and why ritual is so important when engaging with this plant medicine. But this conversation doesn't just focus on psychedelics. Jen is also a long-time meditator, deriving her practice from the Tibetan tradition of Buddhism, with a teacher she's followed for decades, embodying the Buddhist tenets she's found so personally inspiring and peaceful. The juxtaposition of these two mind-managing practices is beyond fascinating. It's deeply humbling. Life can be exquisitely hard, lonely and relentless. Learning how to suffer less and enjoy the feast of life more has to be a meaningful way most souls would find benefit from internalising. I've been extremely fortunate to have participated in a number of Jen's company Alalaho's retreats and have found them to be reverend, peaceful and deeply aware with a welcome splash of humour. I hope this conversation captures some of that sacred mix and invites you to consider a way you can touch your deepest wisdom to guide you through your precious life. 
Hello, Jen. I am so excited to have this conversation with you. So Jennifer Tesla, fascinating individual. So just on the cusp of becoming a fully qualified uh, psychotherapist, heavily influenced by Jung, coupled with you being a co-founder of a psychedelic psilocybin retreat called Alalaho and all that that entails. And also, and this is probably more my personal addition to an introduction for you, which is a deeply advanced meditator and just back from a powerfully long retreat, which I know that you do annually, and really speaks to the presence that I've had the privilege of experiencing with regards to the retreats that you run as part of being the co-founder of Alala Home. So thank you very much for finding time to talk today. Is there anything I've missed there that I should I should shoehorn in? Thanks a lot, first of all, and I'm, I'm so glad to be in meeting with and, and chatting with you today really thank you no nothing nothing to add really probably some things to take away if anything <laughs> but nothing to add the nature of where I'd like to really explore things if I may is to sort of start at the beginning and I'd like to ask a little bit about your own meditation practices and how you became as committed as you are in terms of such a regular in-depth piece and what you've derived from it and also what kind of meditation that entails so lots of questions there yeah how did I become so committed it's a good question so I guess I, I started getting into meditation in my late teens as many if not most teenagers today I was very I guess in just in some great existential, spiritual, psychological turmoil inside. And I was just looking for something, you know, I was looking for peace, looking for a way of working with my own mind and emotions and, and just get my way out of that kind of darkness. I was reading lots of psychoanalysis books when I was really young, reading some like philosophers and Nietzsche and all of that and finding it fascinating. But nothing was really helping in any way and I remember the feeling when I finally got my hands on a book about uh, it was about Tibetan Buddhism and it was so simple you know compared to Nietzsche reading about Buddhist philosophy it's just like a walk in the park but there was something that touched me so much it's like oh there's a practice it's like there's something I can actually do to work with my inner life with my emotions and by cultivating certain attitudes, certain practices, I might even end up being happy. So I was like, okay, this is great. I got to do it. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I started, I mean, I was, you know, there's these books. I remember a specific moment. There was a book where there was a kind of guided meditation of just walking barefoot on the grass. And I think I was just about 16 or 17 at the time. And I remember just doing it, you know, just reading the book and just, okay, walking barefoot on the grass, feeling my feet. And even just that first moment of, dropping into presence like you know dropping into the body focusing on the sensations dropping into presence is like just that little drop of peace that I felt that moment was enough already to make me feel like okay, I've got to really pursue this further so when I finished high school I planned to have a gap year and I basically booked lots of retreats in Nepal India and Thailand and that's that that really got me hooked so to speak in the sense that I often have this conversation when people ask me about how to start meditation and which app is for guided meditation and all of that. I mean, there's some wonderful apps and wonderful things out there that are available and by all 
means like I recommend that people try it out. But I always say, look, if you really want to get started, go and do a retreat. Because there's something where if you're just in your busy mind, everyday life, and you just sit for 10 or 15 or 20 minutes with a guided meditation, like it'll be nice. It'll be like a nice relaxation kind of moment. But I think in most cases, it won't really show quite how powerful the practice can be. And I think there was something for for me in just jumping straight in and doing these Vipassana retreats and other kind of Tibetan Buddhist retreats where you get just such a powerful experience because of being immersed in the practice in a retreat environment for like a whole week or 10 days where I was like, yeah, just completely mind blown by the power of these ridiculously simple techniques. Just sit there and watch your breath. And then it's like there's a whole universe that opens up and that sense of peace, you know, I think that's what I was after and that's what I found on these retreats. Not that it's, you know, it's not like, okay, I found it and now that's it, I've got it and I'm stable in that. But it was that sense of like, I know it's in me and I know there's a way to access it. So I guess, yeah, that's that's kind of how, how I got hooked. I mean, really, for me, my past has really been in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition I read a lot, so I was reading lots of different things from like more like Southeast Asian Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism, looking at also like kind of Hindu non-dual philosophy. But I always felt like a particularly strong resonance with with the Tibetan tradition. And um, yeah, and I ended up by luck, by karma, however we want to explain it. I ended up meeting my teacher, he's a Tibetan Buddhist master, just before turning 19, I think. And yeah, and that's also been, you know, the kind of second hook is like having the, I guess the privilege or the, yeah, the privilege, really the honor of studying with someone who so powerfully embodies the teachings. Like, I guess that's the other thing, you know, it's like I had had my own experiences on retreats of just feeling like, wow, this technique is so powerful. And like, I can really touch this deep places inside myself and this deep peace and it's there it was like even like next level to then you know meet my teacher and yeah next 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 level from what I had experienced on my own with my own practice so yeah that's kind of a bit about it all wow wow so you make it I mean I know that it's not because it, it almost sounds effortless and very easy but I think the pandemic really surfaced just the emotional maelstrom that people contend with on a daily basis and the the virtual way that we work now certainly with the corporations I have the privilege of touching I'm, exper- I'm experiencing more and more individuals wrestling with things like burnouts and feeling more disconnected and wanting to find a solution to that. But of course, we live in a world of instant gratification. And what I'm hearing you say is that this is a a long journey because 19 until now, we're talking not months, we're talking decades to have brought you to that. How easy was it for you to, to continue to walk that path and find space because of course you're as you're, the training to be a psychotherapist is hugely consuming as well as well as also finding space and to, to, to work and and have a, a sort of domestic life as well I think there's something with meditation that's a bit kind of what what's the phrase slow and steady wins the race and it's not like there's actually a race to win but there is something of the kind of just slow and steady where I had to say I think it takes years <laughs> to like make peace with the fact that when you come out of retreat, you're all open, peaceful, present, glowing, whatever it is. 
and you feel like, okay, this is it. Like I've reached that state and now I'm just going to be like that. And of course you come back home and you switch on your iPhone, MacBook, iPad, whatever it is, you know, just walking down the roads with all the press and, and you kind of lose that. Yeah, it's like, I think initially, like for quite some years, it's so frustrating. Like you just keep feeling like you failed, you know, it's like, oh, I failed to hold on to what I experienced on retreat. And actually after a while comes this understanding of like, no, okay. Like that is just part of the journey. It's part of the process. And I guess there's a sort of sense of inner determination to keep up with the practice. Even if, of course, when you meditate at home 20 minutes on a busy weekday, it never feels like it does when you've been in Nepal for six months traveling and, you know, just not looking at your phone or whatever. So there's something of, in a way, kind of broadening as well our understanding of what the practice is. And the practice is about being present. And if that's being present to feeling shit, feeling burnout, feeling overwhelmed, feeling stressed out, feeling whatever, which is what we experience in our day-to-day lives, like that's fine. And it's almost like, yeah, there's there's that kind of trust, I guess, in the practice that comes with time as well of I'll just do my 20 minutes, or I'll just do my hour, or I'll just do my 45 minutes or whatever it is in the morning. And yeah, it's kind of, it's a bit like with yoga or if you're trying to open your body. Like say you start yoga, like you, there's no way you can touch your feet, like just no way. It's just like, I'll never touch them. And you do some yoga every day and then sure, after a while you can touch your feet. And then if you stop doing yoga for a whole month, you're going to bend forwards and it's like, oh, you can't touch your feet again. But if you just stretch a couple of times, you will be able to, you know, it's like you create, it's like stretching the possibilities, like stretching what's available to your body, even though it might not always be available at any time. And with meditation and keeping with the practice and going on retreats regularly, it's like you just keep opening your mind, kind of like keep stretching the possibility of what's what can be available to you. And it just becomes easier and easier to recognize or to find that kind of place of peace and openness and acceptance within oneself, even in the midst of business and, and our crazy lives. It's not a stable thing. It's a misconception to think that like peace is a stable state you know like being a meditator means that you're always perfectly peaceful and in equipoise you know I think it's it's more about like a kind of openness a greater openness I would say there's there's less friction less resistance or less struggle somehow even when there is struggle and there is struggle so when you you've walked this path of meditation which is a particular school with your own teacher and then there is this fascinating juxtaposition which just complements each other very so well choosing to co-found this retreat that focuses on providing a, a safe contained space for the use of psilocybin how did that opportunity experience and an amazing new endeavor come to pass i guess on the personal journey kind of level experimenting with psychedelics and you know going out like trying to explore buddhism and meditation it was kind of part of the same quest really uh, i wanted to understand my own mind i wanted to understand the universe i was just so curious about that which wasn't immediately visible to our senses and in our everyday lives. And so I actually, I had my first 
proper psychedelic journey high up in the Himalayas between two Buddhist retreats. So yeah, it all happened at the same time. And there was for me a, a particular feeling which I always describe as the, the, the cracking open of the heart. I remember that this particular point on that journey on that mountain where just, yeah, just feeling my heart cracked open and it was such a relief. Actually, it was such it's a good crack. You know, it's like if your back is a bit stuck and you go to the osteopath and they just ah, crack it back into place and it just cracked open and that felt so good and so right and so important and significant. It was sort of like reclaiming experiences that we were kind of, I don't like that word, but almost like entitled to as humans, you know, of just feeling so intensely like the beauty of the natural world, like the immensity of the sky, the immensity of awareness and the immensity of the heart. And and I guess, yeah, that there's something where I could see, I guess, in my own practice or personal development, how both meditation and the psychedelic experience played a very important role, both of them. And so when, um, yeah, when the kind of possibility opened up to move into that space, move into the psychedelic scene and start facilitating and working on retreats and then eventually co-founding Alalaho, it was quite, quite obvious to me that that was, uh, that was important. And yeah, and I guess I always had the feeling, I, I remember when I was in India when I was 18 and there was a, a retreat that we did that was called Peaceful Living, Peaceful Dying. And it was kind of looking at Buddhist philosophy and exploring like, what is the meaning of life in light of the fact that we are going to die? It's like, there is no doubt about that. It's the only thing that we know for sure is that we're going to die. We don't know when, we don't know how, we don't know in what conditions, but we are going to pass. And they did this beautiful guided meditation where you were kind of taken through very gradually. It was probably over like the course of an hour. So like really slow, kind of dropping into it. You were going to the doctor. They were telling you you had an illness. And then anyway, I'll skip a few steps. It's a terminal illness. You're living your last days. And then you're finally on your deathbed. And they dropped that question. What made your life worthwhile? You know, like as you're lying there about to die, like what was meaningful? And that was so powerful, like so, so, so powerful. And I mean, I know it sounds a bit cheesy, but it was just love, compassion, giving, helping, you know, giving of myself to others. And I, I know that something kind of clicked at that point where I was just like, okay, so I need to lead my life in a way where I can help people or do some good somehow so yeah so the idea of being able to share psychedelics to share some form of meditation and then of course that's also why I then embarked on the psychotherapy training just the idea of helping people work with their own minds basically that's kind of how it all came about so beautiful with how you've described that there are two major things that, that come to the fore which is the exploration and the becoming more comfortable with death, mortality, as you said, the only certainty that we all have, that culturally is more so than in the West and than the East, we're simply not comfortable with. It's like the big secret, the ultimate denial, the thing that nobody talks about. It's the taboo, even though, as you said, that it is the pathway to living with grace. And then coupled with that is the other, the mystery, the the unknown, what some call God, others prefer source. Everybody has a different way of talking about their relationship with the divine. And 
in hearing that both through the meditation practice and psychedelics that allows a relationship with that so for those who are thinking gosh this is exactly what I want to do could you explain what are psychedelics I don't know if I can I'll try I'll give, <laughs> I'll give you my version of it I mean first of all as a bit of a disclaimer I'm not particularly scientifically minded like I don't read all the research papers that come out my knowledge and understanding of an experience of psychedelics it's it's not through like a hyper scientific lens how would I describe psychedelics I mean they are well initially plants that we now also have kind of synthesized versions that have a particular effect on our organism body and mind and I would say that It interacts with our organism in such a way that it unleashes a wisdom that's inherent in us. It opens, you know, the the doors of perception, to use a kind of famous phrase. I mean, for me, the way I always conceive of them is more through the kind of understanding that you would find in, say, like traditional medicines. You know, there's this idea that we have a... There's our physical body and, of course, there's veins and all sorts of arteries, all of that, but we also have a kind of... At a more subtle level, we also have these kind of energetic channels where our kind of that our life force kind of moves through. And my experience, and and I think a lot of traditional cultures would agree with that, is that psychedelics kind of just open the channels for everything to flow more freely. And that's where these kind of, you know, we talk about these expansive states. It's because it does feel like we open up. It's like everything in us opens and becomes a lot more receptive a lot more kind of sharp yeah something like that something like that but I I think it's important to say that it it gives us access to our own intelligence to our own wisdom to our own capacity you know they always say we use I don't know what it is 10% or 20% of our brain and I think that's also what the neuroimagery is showing. You know, when you take psychedelics, like there's just so many connections that occur in the brain and suddenly you just use a lot more of its capacity. So we can think about it in terms of the brain or energetic channels, but it's like they help us use more of our potential, more of our capacity. So on Alalaho, you use psilocybin. And I know that involves going over to the Netherlands and meeting with a group of people and collecting together in a space with your team. And then, of course, there's ayahuasca, which is another form of plant medicine. Um, I'm curious, what drew you to psilocybin if you've experienced ayahuasca and if you were able to say, if anyone knew about these and they were, they were thinking, I'm not sure which one to explore, where you would direct them? There's an image that comes actually from uh, shamanic cultures in the Americas where they they describe, they called ayahuasca uh, the abuela, the grandmother, and the mushrooms are los niños, the, the children. So there is a sense that ayahuasca has even more oomph, let's say, uh, than, than the psilocybin that you'd find in mushrooms or truffles, which is what we use on the retreats. So the effects are kind of really quite similar in nature, but I would say indeed with ayahuasca, they're, they're even stronger. They're even more amplified. In terms of people being interested in doing this kind of work, I would say currently in our world, the main difference is that ayahuasca is really 
solely done in shamanic settings. I don't think maybe there's a few. You wouldn't find psychotherapists that give ayahuasca to clients or patients or people they work with because it requires an extensive shamanic training. Like I would never dream of giving someone ayahuasca to drink. Also because that's not where most of my experience is. I mean, I just went to one ayahuasca retreat there was three ceremonies, but that's it. All of my experience otherwise has been with uh, mushrooms, truffles, or LSD. And we do, it. how did it come about? We can look at the kind of history, but it is the case that now in our society, like mushrooms have kind of lent themselves to people who aren't full-blown shamans to work with them and be able to hold space for other people with them safely. You know, it still requires a lot of personal experience of doing this work, working with these medicines. So it's not like, oh, you can just give mushrooms to anybody, even if you haven't, you know, but we're not shamans, you know, nobody on the Alalaho team is a shaman, but everybody's qualified and experienced to work with mushrooms. So yeah, in terms of people looking to do this kind of work, it's a question of how strong an experience do they want to have? Like some people just want to go straight in and, you know, and and love the idea of heading to the jungle, going to Peru, working in a kind of shamanic setting. And other people just resonate more with a kind of psycho-spiritual approach that also, you know, just where the kind of Western mindset is, is, I'd say, that's more connected with our Western paradigm and, and mindset and culture, which is how we work at Alalaho and how most of the other retreat centers doing this work in Europe also work. Yeah. And then maybe on the kind of further end of that spectrum, then you have the like really purely clinical approach, which is kind of how they work, like on the clinical trials, which is really just yeah, just really approaching it with that Western psychotherapeutic mindset and not not looking at kind of shamanic elements. I would say we're kind of in the middle. Yeah, I think um, I can relate to that description and I, the, the shamanic side of it with what you experience out in Peru and that really indigenous feeling is much more archetypal. And then you've got a different experience with the mushrooms. One of the things that when I bring up the subject or the subject comes up of, of exploring plant medicine or mushrooms or this kind of work, I'm always struck by how people would say, oh gosh, you're very brave or oh, God, that's really scary. I'm not sure I've got the nerve to do that. What do you think sees people see this as being scary? <laughs> I guess it's quite telling of... It's almost, you know, like symptomatic, really in the sense, you know, like a symptom indicates where there's an imbalance, where there's where there's some kind of illness, actually. And it feels really symptomatic of our our culture and, and the fear that we have of emotions and of the inner world. It's like it's terrifying. You know, people are terrified of, yeah, just thinking of sitting with themselves for five hours with their emotions on steroids you know <laughs> and uh, and it is scary you know I don't blame them and and we've all been there and and even after having done it I don't know how many times it's like it's still scary it's always scary I get I still defend against my own emotions in a million ways you know so it's also totally understandable and yeah do you think it's very symptomatic of our of our culture and I guess yeah it's what is there to say to that it's 
maybe there's something where like you know the the, the greater the fear the the most juicy the fruit or something you know it's like the the reward so to speak although I really don't like that word but yeah what what we it's not a reward it's more like the liberation like the intensity of the the relief or liberation that comes from facing one's fears is it's huge it's one of the things that we were talking about before we we started recording which was certainly my perspective is that I think you perhaps people reach a certain age it could be late 30s 40s later earlier when the outward adventure becomes less appealing you've driven the fast car how many other fast cars are you going to drive you've tasted the the very expensive food how many other men so it becomes a case of not that life becomes exhausted but the internal adventure really becomes the one that is infinite and also the biggest gift that you can give to other people so you talk about your team how do you and your team initially engage with someone who goes okay right I think I'd like to do this I'm going to reach out I'd like to do it through this organization um what can they expect with those initial engagements because as you said we're talking about holding space and I'd love for you to share a little bit about what that means because there'll be people from all sorts of perspectives who may have heard that or not heard that so so what does that mean for you as well I love that question I remember a few years ago but I had been in the UK for a few years, but I was kind of starting uni and then getting in this whole alternative and workshop scene. And I remember just hearing people talk about holding space. And I was like, what the hell does that mean? Like, what is holding space? <laughs> and it took me a good while to, to figure it out. And now it's, yeah, I'm happy to to get into that in a in a moment. Holding space and how we do it and what it even means. The first question, the first part of the question about what people can expect from starting the journey and engaging with Analaho, I mean, the first thing is that people need to apply. Like there is um, a very kind of thorough kind of application and kind of screening process. And the sole driving force or motivation for that process is always figuring out, is this safe for the person and is it the right time for them? So people fill in a long application form and we take like a full history of where they're at in their life, where they've been, what their kind of significant life events have been, mental health history, physical health. And once they fill that in, they get on a, on a call with one of our expert screener and they'll have a talk that would be between 30 minutes to 45, sometimes even an hour. And yeah, we like to we like to take our time with that because it feels really important. Like sometimes it's about us figuring out like, is it safe for the person? And sometimes it's also about helping the person feel into, do I really want to do this? So people have questions they want to ask. People want to also just get a feel for the organization and the people behind it. So yeah, this, this is quite an important step in the process also to kind of start building trust. And then, you know, of course, there's this kind of approach now that's really widespread in the psychedelic scene of preparation, peak experience and integration. So we give a lot of time and attention to the preparation, both before the retreat. So people are given some materials like videos to look at, books to read. We also send some journaling prompts in the weeks leading up to the retreat to help people drop into a more inward and kind of reflective space 
We now also have a group prep call so that the group can meet each other online on Zoom with the lead facilitator before the retreat. And then on the retreat itself, we also do like we have a whole day dedicated to preparation. And that involves like a mixture of kind of solo time, but also some group activities, some one-on-one with the facilitators, with everything being sort of designed to help people drop drop into the group and to feel like bonded and connected with everyone and also drop into themselves and just drop into that kind of field of just trust. Yeah. Trust and warmth. It's a really warm space that's created on the retreat. It's really special in that way. So yeah, that's kind of engaging with Alan Aho and starting the experience. Maybe, maybe I'll, I'll pause here and move on to yeah the question about holding space. So during the, the, the retreat, during the, the ceremony, I think it just all boils down to loving presence, really. That is the main training as facilitators. And we've all had very different ways of getting there, so to speak, or kind of training that muscle of being present and open. But that's that's what it's about. It's just um, being really attentive, being really um, present with people. I don't know if you want to talk more about the specifics of space holding, like how we work in the ceremony. We could go into that, but yeah, in in short, essentially it's about being really present. And of course, everybody has a unique kind of toolbox that involves like different psychotherapeutic modalities, kind of different kind of therapy trainings. And then everybody also has some kind of connection with ancient wisdom traditions. Most of the team has quite a lot of experience working with shamans, working with ayahuasca, and a few of us also have connections with meditation practice and kind of meditation lineages. And that's why or where a kind of very psycho-spiritual approach kind of comes from, the fact that actually as facilitators, as people, that's how we walk our own path. And so that's what we can come and share with people. I mean, the word that just jumps out is integrity. The space is absolutely infused with integrity because it's a space that's asking for honesty and you're asking for that honesty from the individual and it's being um, evidenced by the the interviewer, if you like, so that there is this trust that's being built. Because, of course, by definition, people are electing to go into an experience which is going to see them very vulnerable. And that's something that our culture... It almost encourages us to either be, I think, almost um, pathologically vulnerable in a way that's over, over. So social media is a good example of that, becoming a bit of a victim to your, your, your being or hugely defended against it so that you don't express that at all in the other end of the spectrum. So this is a, an opportunity to demonstrate that real integrity. The word ceremony is something that is talked about a lot with psychedelics. Can you speak a little bit regarding what is a ceremony? Why is it called a ceremony? And you can go into as much or a little detail as you feel comfortable regarding what that person could likely be uh, to experience. Yeah, that's such a good question. It's true. I mean, it's really nice because you're you're, uh, bringing to light you know, like holding space or ceremony, these words that we become so used to when we're like in that scene, so to speak. And and it's like, yeah, actually, what do they really mean? And why do we use these words? I guess, you know, even though we are currently 
using these medicines, mushrooms, truffles, in a kind of Western, kind of broadly secular environments, they do have a history of being used as sacred medicines in traditional settings and taking, ingesting these substances was a sacred ceremony. And so in terms of, you know, kind of lineage, if you wish, like that's that's why we call it a ceremony. But if we want to, you know, it's, it's not about just using that word. We also have our own meaning for that word, you know, like we still have weddings, people go to church. And even if we're not religious, like there's all sorts of ways actually in which we ritualize our daily life, you know having a cup of tea on the same chair in your garden every day with the same mug that you love, you know, and that's like your childhood mug or whatever. So it's like, we are actually quite ritualistic beings, even if we're not religious anymore, or if we're not spiritual. So we like to call it a ceremony because it feels incredibly sacred. And I think probably every single person who's attended a retreat I'd say, even if they're totally not religious, even like atheist, they get a direct experience. They get a, a felt sense of sacredness in that ceremony. So that's why the word ceremony still feels appropriate, even though we're not shamans, because it's it is sacred. It's humans, you know, what happens in that in within the, in the physical space and in the space of those six hours. It's people opening up to these incredibly vast dimensions within themselves and what's sacred if if not that and there is you know it's also important it's like we're as i was saying like we are ritualistic beings we are symbolic beings and there is something you know it's like i'd say like if you if you go to even like a job interview or if you go on a date like you'll wear specific clothes and you'll move your body in a particular way and and that will create a particular kind of energy to the encounter and so we're just working with that you know we're just working with these symbols like how we dress and what kind of objects are in the space and what kind of decoration because all of that will evoke particular feelings and sensations that are conducive to that kind of sacred and healing opening beautiful I always love how it evokes for me a sense of reverence because we are engaging with something which is sacred and that's ourselves and the oneness that's true of that collective endeavor and acknowledging and honoring each other. I I, I love the way you've described that because there's something about it that is um, very noble. And as you say, it just evokes a lot of the values and ways of being that can be seen as being very old and antiquated sounds almost derogatory, but, but sometimes overlooked or dismissed these days because it demands a slower pace to afford people to relax. And you talked about people dropping in both in terms of the preparation and where they, they, they come to. I can certainly vouch that myself. I, I'll be charging it a hundred miles an hour during my working life and probably over caffeinated as well. And then the preparation up to these invites you to slow down and really consider what am I seeking to accomplish here? And I think that's a great place to go next, which is of course, everybody is looking, probably we're going full circle here to what you were talking about at the beginning, which is to feel better, looking for relief from their patterns, their ways of engaging. And you described as well, 
the preparation, the peak experience and the integration. There may be a few people out there who, who could feel, well, look, I'm going to go and do this retreat. It's going to be a real dive into the things that I'm struggling with and then I'll be fixed and I won't ever have to deal with that again. And that trauma, that, that addiction, that pathological obsession or whatever it is that's inhibiting me from having a life that's just a little freer will be resolved. <laughs> and I think that's a really wonderful aspiration, but I, I'd be curious as to what you would say to people who have that hope. Yeah, thank you so much for bringing this up because it's so, so important so 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 important and yeah there's there's so much kind of buzz around psychedelics at the moment and of course like when people write articles or make documentaries they'll give you the kind of most miracle stories you know that you can find and it's not that these you know that's it it does happen some people feel completely healed overnight over a few ceremonies of a particular wound or trauma but in most cases it's an ongoing journey and I I, I guess you know I don't even know I feel like I'll probably be able to have a more definite opinion on my deathbed or something but I don't even really know what healing really means and whether we ever really get get rid of a wound you know I think I think the wound heals and we're just left with scars that are more or less comfortable and that might kind of crack open sometimes if you just move in a particular way or hit a wall or something you know it's like I think it's it's an ever unfolding journey and the most important is not so much to try and get rid of something but it's more to build a a different relationship to it to that pain to that wound to that difficulty to that negative pattern or whatever it is that that the person is working with so we we don't get fixed overnight I don't know if we ever get fixed and maybe we need to just let go of the idea of getting fixed altogether and just um, learn to dance and enjoy the dance with the whole spectrum of what we we feel as humans what I can say for sure is that even though people don't come out of the retreat feeling like okay I'm fixed forever there is a sense that because of thanks to you know that having had the courage to face these parts of themselves that they have been so scared of or keeping a lid on because of opening that lid they also open the pathway to a lot more joy and aliveness and yeah just kind of (laughs) well-beingness wellness you know it's it's something where we might never get rid of our pain, but we can open ourselves to feeling more joy as well. And that's that's really valuable. And, and it makes the, the hardship kind of worth it. So good. One of the things as well, I think that the spaces that you create and this these experiences afford is connection with other people's own journeys. And so we have that rich opportunity to learn from each other's experience when people have that sharing one of the words that you talked about as well which again is used a lot in these circles is integration so for those who are unfamiliar why is it relevant and and what what is it yes yeah that other buzzword integration (laughs) so I can start by saying what it's not it's not a finish line. It's not a goal to reach. It's not a target to hit. And I think that's also, you know, this, okay, prep, 
integration experience integration can make it seem like yeah just like this very straight line with a finish you know a straight race to a finish line or something which it's not and integration means a couple of things to me there is that sense on a basic level of okay integrating the insights that you've had during your psychedelic experience into your daily life so beginning to embody these kind of new truths that have been revealed to you somehow that's kind of one valid meaning but again it's it's an ongoing journey it's kind of more like this that sense of just peeling layers and layers and layers and layers so it's we're never done integrating something and the other thing that i think takes that word just gives it a bit of a broader sense it's there is a sense through psychedelic work but just all forms of inner work actually that Part of the process can be explained as becoming more integrated as people, as human being. A lot of our, you know, kind of trauma, a lot of our pain comes from the fact that we're somehow fragmented. You know, we've split off some parts of us that have suffered, that have yeah, gone through difficult experience. We just split them off, put them out into the shadow, close the lid. And so part of this journey is about re integrating into our sense of self all these exiled parts of us and an important thing to say about that it's it's of course and and also you know there's so much talk and I guess that's that's also what we've mostly or maybe the the flavor I've been given it we, we often talk about like the hard stuff and facing the hard emotions and integrating the shadow and the wound and the parts of you that have suffered and sure that's important and it's part of it but our light is also in the shadow. Actually, our greatest qualities are hiding in the shadows because they're scared to come out because we don't have self-confidence or whatever the reasons are. And so it's also integrating our light actually into our sense of self and just really opening ourselves up to our strength, our beauty, our creativity, our power, our fierce, 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 fierceness, <laughs> whatever the word is. <laughs> um and and just all the all the all the gorgeous qualities that we have really so yeah integration and to bring it kind of back down to basics like what that means on the retreat is that after the ceremony after the peak experience there's either a whole day or two full days depending on whether people come on a four-day or on a five-day retreat but there's yeah, one or two days that are dedicated to helping people process their experience through different means. Again, one-on-ones, group activities, solo time, journaling, these kind of things. So it's it's helping people. Yeah, it's, it's like giving space, giving time for the psyche, the body, the organism to absorb all that wisdom that's been kind of stirred up and starting to think, okay, what are practical steps that I can take in my life to start embodying these things? And it's like, that's the beauty with psychedelics, that there's something of sometimes the most immense life transformations are incredibly subtle, you know, and and sometimes people have this huge experiences and insights and and it translates into something really basic in their everyday life like there's that kind of dance between like huge and cosmic and and just subtle and incredibly ordinary so yeah it's kind of helping people begin that journey of embodying 
embodying the wisdom, like bringing bringing the medicine back into their everyday life and their sense of self. Maybe I'm really curious to ask the question, which is you have a rich and vivid and deep experience of psychedelics, having done a number of those journeys and a number of ceremonies, which will have equipped you with a real deepening of understanding yourself and the broader wisdom that you've described so exquisitely today. So there is that breadth that you bring there. But there's also, as we opened with, this extraordinary commitment to a school of meditation, a journey with a teacher, honouring that dynamic, that kind of student-teacher development, mentoring and growth that comes, as you said, in a steady piece. So you've got these two these two ways of going home, if you like. Which one do you think has been more enriching, or do or is that a, a is to compare just completely to miss the point? Uh, I don't think it's missing the point, but that, but I also don't think I could give you an answer <laughs> yeah. because I can't really separate. Actually, you know, it's like I can't tell you. Okay, this feeling in myself or attitude or if there's a quality a quality I can't tell you this quality comes from meditation and this quality comes from psychedelics like there's there's a sense and that's yeah that's why I, I love doing this work in the way that we do like it feels like there's a real synergy between them actually you know it's like I do feel like there are ways in which working with psychedelics has helped my meditation practice or has helped me really kind of ease like grasp certain concepts of the our core to Buddhism for example like I can't tell you the number of people on the retreats like after the experience when they share like who have some kind of experience of interdependence or this kind of boundless love or compassion or whatever like these kind of things that you find I mean not just in Buddhism and a lot of other traditions and also I think there's ways in which psychedelic experiences kind of support one's spiritual practice and there are also ways in which my meditation has helped me navigate the psychedelic experience and and work with it in quite a grounded way I would say, because there's also a danger of just flying into the sky and not wanting to come back down to earth kind of thing. So yeah, it's a synergy. If I had to pick one, I would choose meditation any day. But if I can work with both, then I would work with both. Well, you know, I could talk to you for hours and I can't believe we've been going for, for nearly an hour now. Um, and there's a few few more things I want to just shoehorn in, um, which is. I think, first of all, before we wrap, if people want to know more about you, they want to know more about Alalaho, where should they go? The website of the organization is uh, alalaho.org. I also have my personal website, which is uh, jennifertesler.com, which is mostly for my uh, therapy work. And then we also have an Instagram account for Alalaho, which is at alalaho underscore. Yep, that's it. That's really fantastic. And um, I think just to add a little bit, having had the big gift of going through the retreats that you hold at Alaho, I cannot recommend them highly enough. And also having the wonderful experience of ayahuasca as well. I know that my preference resides a bit more with mushrooms, although I have a huge amount of respect for the grandmother, as you talk about. And the grounding that you've talked about is 
so evident in the team who work with you on those retreats. So anybody who's got any sense of apprehension can have that. I can very confidently allay because as you've described so well today, the introduction, the preparation, the interviewing process is, is very embracing. And it's in a funny way, it kind of reminds me of preparation for the military, which is when you went off and did these sort of interviews and the test to get in, if you like, to Sandhurst. And um, you were given a kind of green, yellow, a green, orange or a red. And the red was, no, this is not for you, don't. And the orange was, you need to kind of go away and grow up a little bit. And the green was, you're good to go. And there's a little bit there about, I think, what you've described, which is for some people, it'll be absolutely now's the time. And for others, maybe, yeah, maybe like, let's come back when, you, when you've thought about this a bit more. And I know that Certainly my experience with Alalaho has been that you can really take confidence in that being done in a compassionate and very supportive manner. And I think that's wonderful for anyone looking to experience this. I think, Jen, is, is there anything else you think, gosh, if someone were considering a journey with mushrooms, I really want them to know this. What, what would it be? Any kind of closing comment? I know we've covered a lot and I've, I've loved every minute. Mm, yeah, I mean, first of all, thank you so much. Like it's been brilliant and I've loved as well all your questions and then reflections and sharings like it's yeah it's been really rich so thank you and also for all your praises of Alalaho and and the team (laughs) one thing that one of my therapists I worked with some years ago said is there is nothing you can feel that your body can't process and so if you're scared and you think I can't do this it's too dangerous I'm too scared the truth is Whatever you end up feeling, you will be able to process and we will support you with that. And the chances are it will make your life kind of more vitalized. And if you're in doubt, just reach out, come and talk to us and explore, explore it with us. Beautiful. What a great place to finish. Jen, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. I can't wait to hear how people respond to this. And I'm really delighted that they know how to access it. So good luck with everything moving forward. Thank you again. Thank you so much.